There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from HomeLoanExpert.com Studios. It's questions from the audience. Uh, Timothy Michael McKernan and uh, Action Jackson with you here on the program. What's up, Action Jackson? How are you, Tim? I'm wonderful, sir. What about you, brother? What's going on? Not much. Uh, just hanging out here. Had a good weekend of watching football. Watching both Godfathers, one and two. I don't count three. And God. it's been a fantastic weekend, I'll be honest. Had you, had you never seen uh, Godfather before? Yes, I'm a huge fan. I try to watch it, both of them back-to-back, every six months. That gives me enough time to forget some things and remember some others, and it's always good to revisit. I'm also reading the book, too, so it's uh, nice to get that, too. That's a nice play. I, uh, I, I, I locked in on football and some golf, uh, this weekend. We are, uh, fresh off of, um, uh, questions from the audience that we kind of accidentally did last week mm-hmm. and recorded on what today is the 18th. I guess this will be posted on the 18th. People listen on the 18th, 19th, 20th, who knows, whenever. Um, and we recorded it last week, and because I had time to do it right after the radio show, we just kind of did it, and it led to um, a three hours. Was it three hours and twenty minutes? Something yeah, like three fifteen, three twenty, somewhere in there. Which I had zero intention on, um, but my thought process was I was kind of ready to go. Uh, I am. Uh, I was in a spot where nobody would be in the house, and it is very rare for me to have the house to myself with uh, our in-laws, my uh, my in-laws living with us um, when we're in Jupiter, and uh, and then my wife and my son. So in order to do the show and do it properly, I need the house to myself, and so I knew I could seize on that moment. Yeah. And, uh, and I also knew I wanted to expound on something that had been bothering me for, I guess, at that point, four or five days, which was the morning after broadcast um, from the morning after, no pun intended, the uh, the capital situation for whatever, uh, what I don't even know what it's being officially called of January 6, 2021. And to, uh, to help explain the thought process behind it, the way I handle it, and also, uh, in, you know, we just kind of wound up going into a variety of other topics. And as it turns out, I've had more people, um, I guess probably more emails than anything, uh, certainly more emails than ever in the history of the questions from the audience podcast. It's, I mean, it's, it's nuts. Uh, it's great. Um, there's just no way I'll be able to, to read even half of them, I think, but explaining, um, something that I really didn't set out to do, the dynamic of the way um, our arrangement is, for lack of a better term, with the radio show. I, no matter how many times I've said it, that I don't own the radio station, that I don't operate. I get clearly it doesn't it doesn't matter, and I'm not angry that people don't 
understand it. It's why would they? It's not, they have their lives and their families and their hobbies to worry about. My job situation is not something that would be at the top of the list. But I think when I said, uh, and I read the exchange, which was a polite exchange with the, with the Twitter DM, um, that I read last week in which a person was saying they weren't going to listen to the radio show anymore because of the things Doug had said on January 7th. And I said, that's, that's cool and everything, but I mean, why not reach out to Doug? And he's like, well, I mean, you own. And I go, well, I don't, I don't. Doug and I are both co-hosts and Doug and I both receive our paychecks from KFNS. And, um, it would be, it would bother me actually, I guess bother might be too strong of a word, but would it, it would bother me if I said something and somebody went to Doug about it as opposed to came to me about it. And for whatever reason, what I thought was a relatively well-known situation um, clearly is not because that resonated with some people and they, they have a better understanding of what the situation is. Now, from 2013 through 2016 at 920, I didn't even own that station. We owned the time, but we still didn't own the license of 920. Uh, we were in a time brokerage agreement is what that was called. So, um, you know, I want to, I want to make that clear. Uh, but that wound up being very helpful. I think people, another thing that people Jackson got out of last week's episode, and this is probably the second, probably the thing I got the most. We'll read some of these emails here is when I said, and my wife, I think listened to this as well. And she agreed with it. But then then we got into some nuances, uh, and that certainly came in with the questions as well, and, and not even questions, just observations. When I said that Doug views my perspective, which is probably about 67 to 75% of the TMA audience's perspective on politics, as crazy as... I view and we view, as in we, the 67 to 75% view his perspective. I think that didn't, I don't think that broke down walls for a lot of people, but I think it helped at least have some understanding. Not that you agree with him, but an understanding as to why the chasm exists. If I'm sitting there and listening to Doug say things like Antifa and, you know, Hillary Clinton has an earpiece in during the 2016 debates, I'm just going, what in the world? He hears me say whatever it is that I'm saying that totally goes against the information that he is getting, and he thinks I'm crazy. And and while that doesn't make them equal, it's not apples to apples, what it does hopefully do is give those of you listening who wonder why I handle it the way I handle it or why Doug handles it the way he handles it, a better understanding. It is unchangeable. It is unchangeable. It is unchangeable. I will opine my own personal opinions, but we are not going to have some kind of breakthrough because of something I said that is going to lead to Doug changing his mind because Doug's mind is not based on opinion. Doug's mind is based on a totally different set of facts and a totally different set of information, just like mine is, by the way, just like mine is. Now, I, of course, think mine is the truth, but guess what? Doug thinks his is the truth. And so to help put that out there, um, again, it doesn't mean people say, oh, I get it. And I totally support it, but it opened up eyes, I guess, which I think was probably, it wasn't the goal because we just sat down and there's never really a goal with this thing. Um, but 
I guess it helped explain. Um, and now people may have an understanding, even if they still disagree. So uh, the response I got to last week's podcast was easily the most engaged we've had. I don't know. I don't, I, it might be in the history of the show, and the show is uh, three and a half years old at this point. Jackson and Hell, it was, it was your first time just doing it with me without Gangster Pete, and we're doing that again because, once again, I have the house to myself, and I'm just going to seize the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that uh, the best thing that – I saw it on the fan page from somebody was that we've transitioned from arguing or debating philosophy, philosophy into the validity of truth, you know, and I think that's uh, a, a point where it's tough to gain traction with people is that if you're not debating philosophy and debating ideas, instead trying to debate what truth is actually the truth, you really won't get anywhere. And I think that's probably what's led to a lot of the divide here uh, that we see now in 2021. Well, it's, it's from my standpoint, it is the core issue. If this were the family feud, it would be the number one answer with like 75 points. It's, it is, it is the core issue. And that is why I don't like freak out when I see somebody writing something that not only I vehemently disagree with, mm-hmm. but I'm just like, well, that's just false. It's just false because I've had so many years and it's not Doug. It's just so many years of seeing this stuff on Twitter or Facebook where I don't know. I'm telling you, I've said it a few times on this podcast, probably not with, with you um, working here. Uh, in other words, I've said it multiple times, but probably not within the last couple of months. But the advice I got, and I've had a few people send it to me or they will text in during the radio show because it's so simple but I love it when I feel like I can pass something along that people can use in their lives that has nothing to do with religion or morals or anything like that. But it's just kind of a life lesson that I have been using for eight years is the gentleman who owned 920. As I said a little earlier, I didn't own 920. We had a time broker degree with him. His name is Bert Kaufman. And uh, we were dealing with the Jack Clark, Albert Pujols uh, saga. And a number of things were just flat out being said that were just, I mean, just factually inaccurate, not even like a debate, not even like a two sides kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and he goes, well, one of the things I've learned in my life is to not waste any time on something that has no upside. And it was just like, it was just like, it was just like a bullet to the head. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> well, there's that. And I'll, and I'll carry that with me until they put me in the ground. Yeah. Um, and I hope that, I hope that that lesson is passed along to the, what do you get out of it? It's like, so I see somebody write something that has nothing to do with me. So whether it's political or something about the Cardinals and the way Bill DeWitt manages the baseball uh, organization. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I could get involved with that and point out, you know, here's a link to this being, what, what the fuck am I going to get out of it? I'm now going to waste time arguing with somebody. And even if it's somebody I know that I'm going to now have a time suck for what, for what reason to like maybe get a few likes, like who gives a damn Um, but I mean, you certainly can, you can apply that from a more macro standpoint in one's life greater than, you know, social media arguments. Mm -hmm. But, um, there's that, there was that lesson. And the other one was never get in a war of words publicly with somebody who, you know, is a compulsive liar. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also was dealing with that at that particular moment in 2013 and, um, people can, you know, do the math on that. But, uh, I was just like, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what I say. If I say what is the truth, it doesn't matter because 
somebody else is going to just make some more shit up. And there was an, it's a no-win situation. So once again, don't waste any time on something that does have any upside. So we've got all kinds of stuff here. We've got, um, you know, I think my politics are perceived as being liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fine. I don't, I don't mind it. I think it's, I think it's inaccurate. Um, I am anti-theocracy. Yep. Uh, I am anti-Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, I am anti-social media takedowns and, um, I am anti-taking one's morals and then trying to turn them into law, which is somewhat under the umbrella of anti-theocracy. Yeah. But I go back to, and I think it was a question we had recently within the last two episodes. Oh, I think it was, uh, the Barnhart Brawlers thing about shame and when people yeah. will learn right or wrong or something like that. And I'm like, the, the issue with that is what is right to me may be wrong to you. And that is why we have law. Um, and I don't think that, uh, you know, that, that something that might be, you know, a law in a certain religion should uh, then necessarily be applied to law for all to, um, to all to adhere to. So those are, those are four of my main tenets. Um, but because I'm anti Donald Trump, I suppose in 2020 and 2021, that made me a liberal, which was, is an amazing thing. Um, but whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't, like I said, I, I voted for George W. Bush in 2000 and I voted for John Kasich in the 2016 Missouri primary. But if you want to call me a liberal, then, then have at it. Uh, either way, uh, we got a lot of positive feedback, both from liberals and conservatives, and they adjust, uh, addressed it as such. And then there are also some criticism in there as well. And I thought there were some really good emails. People are getting, what I'm trying to drive at that if you want to have a conversation, tone is important. Yeah. And we had a lot of well thought out, uh, emails that were sent in in response to last week's podcast. The other thing I want to say is Jackson and I record this on Monday, January 18th at, uh, 1249 Eastern time is when I am uh, talking is there is a chance that we will do another one of these because I have no idea what the hell is going to happen on the 20th. Uh, that being the day of the inauguration, I'd like to think that um, it will be just nothing. And uh, but I, I have no idea. I, I truly don't. I don't know. I don't. I'll say this, and it'll be one of those things. I, another. Another. This is this is my own thing. This didn't come from an 85 year old man who owns a radio station. This is my own thing. There is zero upside to making predictions in our business. Uh, it's just. It's just. You know. You can give your honest opinion. Yeah. But then people will, you know, come after you when you're wrong, even though, uh, you know, it, it, so I would, I happened to be right that I was worried January 6th was going to be a problem. Uh, on this one, I don't think January 20th will be in the same category as January 6th. That is, that is my intuition. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, maybe that is more hope than it is reality. I, I think also it, it's, it's just in part that we're quote unquote prepared now yeah. versus the lack of preparation for, uh, for January 6th. All right. So we've got a bunch of emails and uh, I want to make sure I get to as many as possible. There's no way in the world, Jackson, we're going three hours and 20 minutes again in part <laughs> because my son will be back and all hell will be breaking loose behind me. So it can't happen. Thank you to Ryan Kelly, Mark Hanna, Seth Goldcamp, Jamie Burkhardt, Clayton Patterson. Jim Rogers and James Carlton. Those are the names of the gentlemen who sponsor the companies that sponsor the Tim McKernan Show podcast. And they have been with us for a long time and we are super grateful for them. Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert.com. And he also now has eatlocalmeals.com to support local restaurants. Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert.com. If you're looking to buy a home, get 
pre-qualified. And if you're looking to refinance, go to thehomeloanexpert.com. That is what I have done. I've done both within the last year. I've gotten my home refinanced and I've gotten pre-qualified. Ryan Kelly made it easy. His staff made it easy. Thehomeloanexpert.com. And Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Mark Hanna is at evergreenstl.com. A lot of people preparing for 2021, but also getting their stuff together for 2020. Have somebody you can text, email, or call with questions and make sure you're doing the right thing. It is invaluable. Before I do anything financially, I run it by my people. And I want to make sure that I tell people that is something that is really, it's not a luxury. It's not something, oh, you have people. No, it's not. That's not it. I could have had quote unquote people in my twenties. It didn't matter. I just didn't know any better. And that is why I try to put people on the right track and then give them someone. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at evergreenstl.com. You hear him on the Ryan Kelly morning after. He's a great guy. Producer Joe is now working with him. I know a number of listeners are now working with him. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies at evergreenstl.com. And the great Seth Goldcamp of Design Air Heating and Cooling online at designairservice.com. Design Air Heating and Cooling is a loyal Sponsor of both this podcast and of the Ryan Kelly Morning After. And Seth Goldcamp has installed a furnace with a great humidifier in my home and in Doug Vaughn's home. And they can do the same thing for you to make sure your home is not dry while that furnace is on. It's Design Air Heating and Cooling online at designairservice.com. All right. I am going to dig in, Jackson, and we've got a lot here. And I will do the best that I can with what we've got here. Oh, my God, this is long. Um, all right, hopefully, uh, well, I'm just going to read it. Tim, I want to talk about media bias. We had a lot of these questions okay. um, because I guess in my podcast, uh, in our podcast last week, one of my main thoughts was um, how the media played a role in what happened in January 6th, but not because of, like, you know, Sean Hannity on January 5th. I'm talking about yeah. this shit has been building up for decades. That's what I was talking about. And it's a for-profit model. And the model is divide. That is the mission statement. Of course, it's not yeah. public, but that is the mission statement. Uh, Tim, I want to talk about media bias. More specifically, I want to talk about the overwhelming frustration the majority of our country feels with bias in the media. This topic has been discussed at length and it seems that both sides mostly agree last week's events, as in January 6th events, were partly the result of media bias over the last X number of years. While I agree the media has prioritized dollars over objective news coverage, part of me thinks we the people need to start looking inward. We blame the media, but they are just giving us what we want. That doesn't go for everyone, obviously, but even people who scream about how biased the media is are most likely not talking about media that is favorable to their political party. They are more than fine with their side being biased if it reaffirms their worldview. And in some instances, they don't even concede that their side is just as biased as the other. Jackson is too new for me to judge. But my gut tells me he is like you and Pete when it comes to not buying into the echo chamber circus that is cable news. So from the perspective of three hot white dudes who seem to be good at being objective – at what point do we as a country need to look in the mirror and come to the realization that we are more responsible for the media bias we experience than the media is? As long as their current model works, I firmly believe they will not change. I see people talk about personal responsibility in this country all the time. People are told to have willpower and work hard. Why does this not apply to media consumption? 
I will concede it is not always easy to block out the BS we are feed, we are fed, and seek unbiased news coverage. But not everything in life is easy, and I think people should take pride in being informed about current events and do so in a responsible way. Not to belittle anyone who buys into extreme bias or even wild conspiracies that come from the left or right wings of the media, but I can't imagine how I would feel after coming to the realization that the, quote, news I was consuming was all a load of crap. I have to think it would feel like getting out of a religious cult. I am interested in your take on this as a media member. I agree that journalistic integrity is important, but people want and consume biased points of view without hesitation and uh, while also complaining about the other side. In my opinion, we are all to blame, but the media has an incentive to give us what we want, so should we take some personal responsibility in encouraging that? Cheers, that comes from the Hoff. Uh, P.S., for what it's worth, I just want to disclose a few things about myself, hoping that my discussion topic does not seem biased since I am harping on bias in the media. I mostly read USA Today, NPR, and Real Clear Politics. I feel like all three combined cover the left center to right center spectrum best. I will sometimes take a peek at Fox News or CNN just to see how the right slash left are framing stories, but I never watch cable news except for election nights. And on those nights, I flip between Fox, CNN, and ABC. As far as the political leanings, I now lean solidly left after leaning right up until 2016. I, too, supported Kasich in the Missouri primary. I am 30 and grew up in a somewhat conservative Catholic upper-middle-class household that has also flipped to leaning left after 2016. My extended family and friend group is all over the place politically, and luckily I have not had any lost relationships due to politics while being very open about my opinions and discussing them with many people, often disagreeing. Probably too much information, but thought the context might frame where I'm coming from. Feel free to disregard this last paragraph if you choose to discuss the topic on QFTA. There we go. A lot in there, but I felt obligated to read the whole thing. Action Jackson, I'm going to give the floor to you. You can take it any direction you would want, kind sir. All right. So, yeah, media bias is definitely, I mean, yeah, you can go to either side and see how they frame stories, what becomes breaking news, what's the uh, object, the target of said news story. Uh, my father and I spoke about this actually a couple of weeks ago. When he was a kid, uh, you could turn on – yeah, maybe two, there's probably new, two or three news channels and you could turn on all three, you know, flip back and forth and you would get the exact same news from each one. Walter Cronkite, they're all delivering yeah. objective news. Then there was the law passed that you don't have to be objective. You can frame news however you like it. And uh, I believe that's when Fox News started and that's when CNN started and it became more about making money than it did delivering people the news in an objective format uh, without bias. Um, I think that's just a natural progression of capitalism that uh, you can make a lot of money off of news, so we're going to make a lot of money off of news. And you kind of have to go into that knowing that this is not about delivering you everything, you know, both sides of the argument. It's about delivering you what you want to hear so that you continue to watch and that advertisers continue to spend money. So you kind of have to go into that knowing that and take everything you see on any cable news site uh, with a grain of salt. Um, I think you get more out of the opinions. Uh, like when they do like a round table, you can get a little bit more out of opinions of people and kind of shape what you think around that more so than uh, just how news is delivered. But having said that, I don't watch much cable news 
Uh, like many young people, I get a lot of news from Twitter. Uh, I like to read CNN.com. I like to read the Associated Press, um, NPR, ABC. That's where I get most of the news I read. But media bias is a real thing, and you have to understand that. And I think that he made a great point where you have to look inward. It's what we want. After so many years, we want to hear what we want to hear. We want to kind of live in our echo chamber uh, to make ourselves feel either smarter or more correct. But like I said, I'm you know 22 years old. I didn't grow up watching the news. My parents, my dad watches the news every night, so I see it all the time. But uh, media bias is a real thing, and you have to understand it's more about making dollars than it is about uh, making an informed viewer. So, so with with what uh, the Hoff wrote in, there is so much. There's so much, so much there. Um, I'll start with um, you know where I consume my news, which we get asked about uh, a decent amount. I unfollowed CNN and Fox News, which were the only two media outlets uh, I was following. I don't know three years ago, approximately. I feel like because mm-hmm. um, it would tilt me. And it wasn't the news that would tilt me. It was what I saw they were doing that mm-hmm. would tilt me. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's just, I don't know, I'll call them cute little words because then that, dis- that dismisses it as being, uh, not harmful. It's, it is harmful. It, cause it frames a headline and you come from a, a family with a background in, in journalism, Jackson, mm-hmm. a headline frames the reader's mindset before he or she begins reading the story, if he or she even reads the story, yeah. by the way. Um, so just I, I did it not because I was seeking the truth. I did it because I was getting tilted by seeing it. It was so obvious what was going on. But again, that which was obvious to me was perhaps the byproduct of what I do for a living. Um, just like I, for example, random, random story here. Um, I would like to think that people wouldn't take this as a brag. I don't fucking know anymore. Does it feel like any little story that motherfuckers brag? I have no idea how to be bragging, but whatever. I, at this point, like we said, I am, I am, I am the villain. So Edmonds, uh, calls me this morning and he goes, Hey, I'm hosting this thing on, uh, I guess the winter warmups, uh, going on today. I'm not yeah. uh, not locked in. Usually I'm down there getting <laughs> autographs, but I'm not there. Uh, and uh, he uh, he said, I guess I'm the host, and it's me, Goldschmidt, Ozzy, and Tyler O'Neill, all guys who have won gold gloves, and I guess they have me hosting it, but I've never really hosted anything, so could you just give me a few, you know, because i got a bunch of people, and I don't know how to yeah. And I'm like, you know, I said, I appreciate you asking. I said, the thing is for me to explain how I host would be for like you to explain how you hit a slider. Yeah. It's just, it's second nature yeah. and it's tough to even explain. It's just, <laughs> it's, it is what you do. Yeah. And even though, you know, 99.999% of the population cannot do it like you can do it, Jim, not me, in my case, <laughs> nobody can do it. I do. Uh, in Jim's case, I said, 
you can't explain it. You can't properly, even if you do explain it, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to do it. And so I, I guess I, what I would tell you is this, if you're going to have three other people on there with you, direct each question to somebody specifically. Otherwise, you're going to have three guys talking at the same time and then yeah. scared to talk because they don't want to step on the other ones. That's all. That's as basic as I can as I can make it, you know, because otherwise it's just, this is just, this is what I've been doing forever. It's like, it's what he's been doing, um, you know, forever. And I realize that's the reason why I try to draw a parallel to a, to a, um, a trade, so to speak, uh, is because this is what I've been doing since the 1990s and spotting bullshit in media is what I've been doing since the 1990s because yeah. I've been a part of it. So yeah. I see it. So I recognize it. And so if you're in Edmonds camp, for example, I remember there was a guy, I was up in the booth with him and Glockland last spring before the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy who was playing for the Cardinals and he was, and he was out there and he was in the starting lineup that day and he was driving Edmonds up the wall with how bad he was. And I think me and Dan were looking at it and going, you know, and my wife was up there too, and just kind of like, okay, I mean, yeah, maybe he misplayed that or handled this the wrong way, but whatever. But like, why is Jim so bothered by it? Like, because it didn't stand out to us, but he could see things that we couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And and so, if you are in accounting, for example, or if you are in medicine, you know, or you know, whatever, it does, it does, it, it doesn't have to be a, you know, yeah. whatever. Of, it, it can be any field. My, if you're if you're a cook, you know things and you see things and you know if you are in a certain industry. I know I can see somebody in broadcasting within not even ten seconds. Honestly, it's it's probably three seconds, whether they've got it or not. It's just it's just the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Just like um, you know, Butch Harmon, Claude Harmon, golf instructors uh, can watch a guy swing one time. And know if they have any interest whatsoever in working with that person. Just like that. If you are a chef, if you are, take your pick of whatever, you know the tells. It's just second nature. Mm -hmm. So I bring that back to the question regarding media bias. And it's so obvious that it drives me up the wall. And I guess why it drives me up the wall even more so than say like if you're a ball player and you're irritated by a guy not being positioned right in the outfield. Yeah. This actually impacts all of our lives, uh-huh. and and it drives me up the wall. That drives me up the wall. So I'm I'm more angered toward that, the manipulation, mm-hmm. than I am the people who are manipulated. Yep. Um, which is why when it comes to certain shows, again, the people who I believe very confidently know they are lying to their audience but know it's profitable for them to lie to the audience. I consider them to be at, at the center of this shit yeah. more so than the people who are actually the ones charging the capital, which might sound fucked up, but that's where I am. Um, or the people destroying businesses over the summer. Take your pick. Like I said, from my standpoint, if you don't like one, you don't like both. Um, and if you're not there, then I, I would imagine that there's some kind of double standard, but I would imagine that just probably hit home for a number of you. And so you'll send me emails explaining why, and that's cool. Maybe I'm off the mark, but from my standpoint, uh, they come from the same principle and this yeah. is about principle. So you have people intentionally using words in graphics or headlines or in their social media postings to click 
people's reptilian brains to either give them confirmation bias or more likely to upset them. So one of the games that Pete and I used to like to play, Jackson, we haven't played it in a couple weeks, is what is the headline on CNN.com right now and what is the headline on FoxNews.com right now? And honestly, I'm a bit out of touch, so I will take a look. Uh, the headline on CNN.com, the historic final days of Trump. Uh, that is uh, that, and I am certain that that won't be the headline on Fox News. Let's go to foxnews.com. State of uncertainty with a picture of Nancy Pelosi looking confused. It's ABC poker. Yeah. It's ABC. Pelosi's the, the villain on Fox News. Trump is the villain. Not not Biden, but Pelosi. Trump is the villain on CNN. And and I realize it's not limited to CNN there. But that's that's the game. Yeah. That's the game. Pelosi continues to hold back impeachment article, possibly delaying start of Senate trial. So she's to blame on Fox News. I mean, this is this is just standard. This is a standard shit. Uh, Trump's on CNN. Trump's eleventh hour pardons keep with tradition, even if those pardoned do not. Uh, and then right under that opinion, Trump's sorted sorted pardons cement his corrupt legacy. So if you read only CNN, and, and by the way, my my person, this is what I do. I'm not saying this is what anybody else should do. But what I do is I read from a liberal perspective, um, what is considered a liberal perspective anyway, the New York Times, um, but the articles, not the editorials. Yeah, and if I do read an editorial, I recognize what I'm reading as an editorial, but I rarely do, even though the headlines certainly are intended to be titillating, mm-hmm. and the uh, Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post uh, to get a left and a right um, news with sources, not cable news. I am telling you the cable news, the cable news sites are poison. They are poison. They are absolute poison. They've been a po- they've been poisoned well before Donald Trump came into the arena. And again, that's what I want to keep going back to. I mean, shit, for years on this podcast, I've been saying, you present me with the, the worst person in the world, and then maybe I would be able to check the ballot for Donald Trump. Otherwise, I'm never going to do it. However, that doesn't mean that I'm going to blame him for everything or blame the people who voted on him or voted for him uh, for everything. And there's a difference between the two. Um, and so cable news, from my standpoint, is really, uh, along with the manipulators, at the centerpiece of who I would put the blame on for all of this shit. All right, for the purpose of making sure that I don't just read one email and then do an hour podcast, I'm going <laughs> to move on to another one. Uh, let's see on this. I don't know if I read this. Let me see when it was sent. When did we do that? Did we do that podcast? We did it either Monday or Tuesday last week, right, Jackson? Tuesday. Uh, okay, so this was sent at 9.56 p.m. last Tuesday. Hey, Tim, just bouncing off what I said at the end of my email about attending MQP and Kirkwood. It was a very unique transition going from MQP to Kirkwood. To be completely honest, MQP was filled with many people going mainly for status. I know I'm generalizing. I wouldn't be surprised if my parents were the only ones in the entire parish to vote for Obama. And I must say the private school kids were the wildest come high school, which I've always felt was interesting. When I entered Kirkwood, I quickly learned how sheltered I was at MQP. I think being around peers from all walks of life at Kirkwood did wonders for me developing into a mature, considerate adult. My friends from high school are rich, middle class, and poor, black and white, and the teachers' administration and resources are incredible. My fraternity at Mizzou was about 90% private St. Louis high school kids. The amount of racism and anti-Semitism was incredibly disappointing. I will say... 
The SLU kids were the exception and more open-minded. I'm not here to tell you where to send your kid. I know you can't stand people telling you how to parent, but I can't understate enough the value of schooling in a diverse environment. I think you probably meant to say overstate enough. Um, and had he gone to private school, he would have gotten that right. Uh, sorry for the long email, but thought uh, you may find my experience interesting. Thanks. And fuck Orson Woods. That comes from Hugo. Um, Action Jackson, I guess this touches on a uh, on a topic last week. Uh, you are a public school gentleman. I am a private school gentleman. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you're not coming from that particular area, but uh, anything there stand out to you with that? Yeah, um, I can only speak to public school. I know that I had a fantastic experience. I think uh, diversity was uh, great at my high school. And... Um, I weren't, I didn't, you know, I, I was always taught that, you know, I don't judge people, uh, based on anything but the content of their character. And that on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I think that speaks volumes because we, uh, that was something I was always taught from a young age from my father and my mother and, uh, was reinforced to me a lot in, uh, my early life. And I'm very grateful for that because that's the only way I look at things. I can't, you know, you can't be prejudiced against anybody because you don't know, you've never walked in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as private school kids, I, I know a ton and they're all very nice to me. Um, but I think that, uh, he said that a lot of the racism, the anti-Semitism was rampant. That's just kind of how America works in some senses. Not everybody, I would say the massive majority are not, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there was, there's, there's always going to be that. It's an unfortunate reality. Um, but I think that most people understand that it's not okay to be racist and it's not okay to be anti-Semitic. But, uh, I, I don't, like, I know that I, I am Jewish, but my mother is Jewish. My father is not. So I don't necessarily have what people would call, and I'm doing this in air quotes, the look of someone who's Jewish. So I don't get a lot of, anti-Semitism like smacked right in my face, but uh, I hear it all the time when I say I'm Jewish, uh, especially like when I'm... People will then say something when you say you're Jewish? Yeah, but just because they like a lot of, like when I was on a, a basketball team, it was mostly kids from, you know, St. Charles or South County, and they'd never met a Jewish person before. Um, and so it was like, and it's really, I did a program in high school where, I, we would go to area high schools that had no Jewish kids, whether that be a Jesuit high school or high school in the city or a high school way out in the county that, and they just never met Jews. And you would explain like, yeah, I'm a normal person. And like some of these kids just don't, they they fall under stereotypes. So uh, I would say most people around my area understand that, Jewish people are just like everybody else, but there's definitely a segment of the population that has never met a Jewish person and has no idea what being a cultural Jew is like. So uh, I think that public school probably teaches you more about that, but just because you went to private school doesn't mean you're automatically uh, prejudiced against people. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, growing up in South City, Catholic parish, St. Gabriel's, I mean, it, 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 I mean, as you can imagine, I didn't know uh, 
anybody. I mean, I, I guess I did. My dad worked at KPLR TV. It was owned by the Coppler family, Jewish, uh, mm-hmm. Barry Baker, who wound up having a huge media career, uh, Jewish. I mean, it, and that was, that was my level of, uh, exposure. And I, and I guess really throughout my life, um, but, I, but it's just, it's just never been a thing. It's just never, ever, and I've never even really even understood it. Um, but at the same time, I was really, when it came to race, which was something that was, cause we, we just didn't, we didn't even talk about Jewish people. It's like we didn't talk about Muslim people in South City. The thing that was going on in South City, it may still be, I don't know, but it certainly was in the eighties, was racial bigotry. Yeah. Uh, specifically anti-black. That was the thing I was so aware of and I just never, and still now, I mean, now it's, I guess, in vogue to not be uh, racist, <laughs> whereas I think it almost was more in style to be racist in the 1980s, uh, depending on where you were. Yeah. Uh, and I just never understood it. Yeah. Never understood it. And I, I remember thinking the people who would say this shit were the people who I didn't necessarily think real highly of, but for other reasons. And again, I'm like six years old, yeah. but I just remember kind of thinking something's wrong, you know, something isn't right there, and I don't know what it is. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I also uh, don't go around looking to, quote-unquote, heal the world. I give my opinions, and if they resonate with people, they do. If they don't, they don't. Um, because it kind of goes back to what we were saying at the outset of the podcast, Jackson. You know, I mean, what am, am I going to say something that somebody's going to go, hold on a second, you know what? I've hated black people, or I've hated Jews, or I've hated gays all my life, and then Tim said something on the podcast, and it, it's just not, it was, yeah, what am I going to do? It's not the way it's going to work. Well, I'll tell you what works. Here's what works. Organic experiences with people of in my case, whether it be somebody who's Jewish, who I've never been around, gay, whatever, or in your case, if you were only around, you know, in a Hebraic community, and you know, and all of a sudden you, you you're like, oh, what's what's up with this Catholic guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Or if you've only been around, you know, all of a sudden now you're interacting with somebody who's gay, you're just, and after like I don't even know a day, an hour, like oh, it's just a fucking person, you yeah, know? Exactly. And that's it, and that's it, and that's how it works. I think so much of it is rooted in hearsay and then a lack of experience. That's the formula for bigotry. Yep. Um, I remember, and, and I don't know what the hell happened to him. I have no idea. There was a time, this was right uh, like in the late 90s when I was at Missouri, when it's 7 o'clock on some HBO, like HBO Signature, I think, because you made reference to this program just a little bit earlier, the Larry Sanders show. Uh-huh. They would show the Larry Sanders show at seven o'clock and then Dennis Miller show, which was kind of like Bill Maher, yeah. which I know sounds weird. Cause I think for people who know Dennis Miller now, they're like, yeah, Dennis Miller. They're either like, what the hell happened to Dennis Miller? Or what the hell happened to Dennis Miller? Yeah. Uh, because something happened to Dennis Miller. But I remember him saying, cause he kind of did what is the equivalent of Mars new rules, except he did it at the opening of his show. And it was like a rant. And it was full of all kinds of analogies and metaphors, and they were delivered in this, uh, as we used to say with the cat and dog, the rat-a-tat style delivery, mm-hmm. that it wasn't necessarily funny what he was saying. It was just so random and quickly delivered that made you feel like you were on this verbal roller coaster and you were almost laughing at that, not necessarily the content. Yeah. But I remember him saying something along the lines of, why would you judge someone, why would you hate somebody for, for the the color of their skin, when if you just get a chance to get to know them, there's so many other reasons to hate them. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I liked it. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course it cuts the other way too. You might find that you really like them. And it's just one of those things. And I, and I feel like social media has exacerbated that. Um, and it's not necessarily even based on race or religion or sexual orientation or whatever the other things might be. Now I might be leaving out and I apologize in advance for those who I've offended, but, uh, that, uh, that if you're in your bubble, now you're, you're preaching to the people in your bubble. And I think that actually is probably a greater thing. But I think maybe I've underestimated over the last few years racism, um, like like the reemergence of racism. Crazy. Um, perhaps I have. I I, I don't know. I, I I remember the morning after Trump's election in '16, Janie the lesbian calling into the show and talking how she's really scared. Um, it wasn't like a titillating lesbian phone call. It was like she was really scared. And I don't know if she was married yet. But if she was worried she was going to get married uh, or be able to get married. And it's just like, fuck, man. These are per- like, if, if I can get, I don't even know if the right word is upset, um, but like frustrated by someone in our, uh, one person in our audience who is re- truly, when it gets down to it, supportive of our show, the podcast, whatever, and then not getting what it's like to be. On my side of things, the business side, you know, whatever, and getting frustrated by that. That's a simple business thing that I have chosen to do with my life. And now I am experiencing some of the ramifications of it that have a lot of positives, but some some negatives. But again, I made those choices. I wasn't born with this. And, and to hate someone or to like, I I think the better way for me now to, to feel it more, to try to experience some semblance of empathy is if somebody disliked my son, because I care more about my son than anybody else. Mm-hmm. If somebody were to dislike my son because he's Irish or because he's Catholic or actually, shit, actually he's not Catholic shows how much I'm locked into that deal. I guess he's Lutheran. <laughs> uh, I guess. I don't know. He's really not any of the above, but by definition, he was baptized. So I guess that's what we got going. Uh, we just were checking boxes. Yeah. But, um, you know, whatever. I don't even know what the hell it, what it is. You know, for his sake, I hope he's over six feet tall, but shit, whatever. It, whatever it is that they would dislike him for that he was born of. If he's gay, let's say he's gay, mm-hmm. and it's something that you know, is outside of his control, and they hated him and he wasn't able to experience what I was able to experience because I am a straight white Catholic man in the United States. Uh, that to me, that, 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 that's when you can start to like feel it. Like if somebody treated you, Jackson, mm-hmm. differently and didn't allow you to do something simply because you are Jewish. Mm-hmm. I mean, holy shit. Yeah. You it's know, crazy. But that has been people's experiences. But for a lot of the people who talk and start going off on things like, you know, what has kind of become, it was a term I used to use on the podcast. And now it's, now I feel like it's just being used by people who I don't necessarily want supporting me personally, which is cancel culture. Uh, that term, um, you know, that, that's where I think a lot of it, oh, you know, this person's going to be canceled now because of that. And it's like, okay, but there's a reason why there are discussions. Um, I would love, you know, this is something that wasn't a question. At least I don't think it was a question via email, but it just made me think of it. Like the Justin Thomas thing that happened with Ralph Lauren, um, 
firing him, but not really firing him. Cause I think clearly if he were to do something, they would bring him back yeah. based on their statement. Um, and I realize I'm saying something that maybe 10% of the audience is familiar with, but the golfer was fired after he missed a like three foot putt in, uh, in an event, uh, not this past weekend, but the previous weekend and, uh, just went faggot. You know, that's what he said right after he missed the putt. And it was like under his breath, but the microphones caught it. Um, and, and he apologized on his own. He went out of his way. He's like, he's so irritated with himself. Uh, apologized over and over again. And it was kind of like the story had its shelf life. It, I think had a 72 hour shelf life. And then on Friday night, six days, I think after it happened, uh, Ralph Lauren, uh, cut ties with him and then said something along the lines of, you know, but if I'm paraphrasing here, if he were to, you know, do something or another, I think in other words, you know, back his words up with actions toward the gay community, they would be happy to welcome him back. Something along those lines. I would like for a company to, if, not if, it will happen again. It will probably happen again in 24 hours. When something like that happens. Now listen, I suppose Justin Thomas theoretically could hate gay people. I put it at a 1% chance, but shit, I guess it's possible. I, you know, what the fuck? I mean, I guess it's possible I could hate gay people. I mean, what, what the hell do we know here? Uh, when it really gets down to it, I know where I am on this stuff, but I don't know where Justin Thomas is. But just for the, just the whole reason for this correction, so to speak, I think, I think is to try to root out people who actually practice discrimination, mm-hmm. which then will impact people's lives who do not check the boxes of the people who have, for the most part, been in power shit for the, the history of the country. Uh, white, male, Christian, you know, yeah. people and, and, and take whatever industry for the, for the most part, for yeah. the most part, for the most part. And I guess there are a lot of people still practicing, take your pick of anti-black, anti-gay, anti-hell, anti-Catholic. Uh, being Catholic at one time was a thing. I guess it still is, theoretically. Uh, anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, um, what else? Anti-woman, whatever these, whatever they are. Yeah. And, and now I feel like the, the correction has actually become an overcorrection where if you say a word, you are now a racist or you now anti-Semitic or whatever the case might be, when in reality, I don't think that that is the case. Yeah. And there is a difference between the two. And I, I would love for a company, and it would, and it would help. It, it won't probably be anything that I have, but if, if I were in charge of a company that got to a point where we had so much of a profit margin, okay, this, that's an important part of this here. So like Ralph Lauren probably can fade the Justin Thomas situation and be fine, I guess. I don't know. I don't see a lot of people wearing polo outside of Iggy, but I'm assuming that they're on decent financial footing. Yeah. Uh, that they were to say, we know, First off, number one, we are 100% against the use of that word, period, yeah. period. And uh, we employ uh, a number of people from the LGBT community and will continue to do so, just as we employ people who are heterosexual, you know. Um, but we have noticed a pattern over the last decade in which 
companies immediately sever ties with someone over what might have been an honest mistake. And we would like to set the precedent that we are not going to sever ties with Justin Thomas over this, but rather we're going to have Justin Thomas come to our headquarters and spend a day with people from the LGBT community who make up a good portion of our staff and have a conversation about why that word is so hurtful and why it is important going forward that he understands and anybody who's going to be associated with our company understands why that word is so hurtful. And if for whatever reason he were to say it again, then at that point we would move move on from our relationship with him. But we believe it was an honest mistake and was not a gay slur. And we would rather set a precedent of understanding as opposed to automatic termination. I would love that. Now, I don't know if that can ever happen, but I would love that. I would personally love that. Jackson, what do you think of that? Yeah, that would be um... – I think that would be honestly more helpful to everyone involved than just firing someone. Um, I think that would, or severing ties. I think that, uh, especially in this case of Justin Thomas, where it was clearly a, uh, a lack of, of almost consciousness. Cause when you do that, I mean, Justin Thomas probably plays 250 rounds of golf a year. Uh, a lot of that isn't televised and uh he probably says that uh without even thinking about it and i don't think he says it uh as a it's tough to say this but like he's not saying it as like i hate gays so i'm gonna say this right something that's, that that's the premise that's the premise I, I, because listen i don't know if you can at this point okay because some people might go well, what about the n-word you know like, I'm sure there are some people who don't really like the fact that I even said the word just now. I didn't really like saying the word. I don't know when the last time I said that word was. But I also know that amongst my friends, probably within the last six months, somebody said, you know, that, that putt was gay or something like that. But, that, you know, all of us wouldn't be like, yeah, fuck that. Gays can't get married. It's yeah. something that is, that is, I don't know, the social acceptance of gays versus the anti-racism movement they're not on the same uh, timeline. In yeah. other words, do you understand what I'm trying to convey here? It has Absolutely. not been cool to be a, a bigot, a racial bigot for a long time. Mm-hmm. Barack Obama came out in 2012 as being pro-gay marriage. I mean, that's not even a decade ago, all right? Mm-hmm. He didn't even run in 2008 as being for gay marriage. These things are happening quickly. Yeah, But it hasn't been cool to say the N-word for a long time. All right, so we're catching up on things. Like, you can watch, I mean, one of my favorite movies, totally from my standpoint, underrated, uh, She's the One. Um, are you familiar with it at all, Jackson? I feel like we have a lot of the same, if you watched it, I think you would enjoy it. Um, but uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that, you know, I think that I think they throw the F word around, not fuck, but the F word yeah. around, like casually, like I said earlier, earlier, not earlier, last week's podcast, you can watch Friends 
which went off the air in either 2004, 2005, and, and you'll, you'll see something, you'll hear something, a joke, and you'll go, oh my God, they couldn't say that now. And this is friends. Yeah. So things are happening, whether you like them or you don't like them. And that's certainly, I don't think you just dismiss the people who don't like it. I think that's conversation. You don't yeah. go, oh, well, you're just old school. You're old, you know, get with the program. I think it's, I think there's merit to the conversation, but the premise is these things are happening. They're happening super quickly. And, um, just because somebody says that word doesn't mean they would not be friends with a gay person. They would not hire a gay person. They don't think gay people should get married. Take whatever thing it is that you, you know, but here's where I prevent the difference. If someone, if, if a white person in particular, which is one of the things that I know that dog avatars love to say, well, they say it all the time in their rap music. But if a white person mm-hmm. were to, in a conversation, use the n-word i would tell you that 99.9 percent of the time they are a bigot yeah it's just the way that it is just like you can say well tim you're probably not playing in the nba it's just the way that it is it's just the way that it is yeah and and there is a difference the word the f word with regard to gays the one that justin thomas said um it's it's still it still doesn't have the power of the n word. You might like it, you might dislike it. I don't know what to tell you, but you look over to the center and look out at the defense. And I'm just telling you, this is the way that the game is at this moment. In ten years, it probably still won't have the power of the n word. But I doubt you're going to have people saying it as much as they're saying it right now. And sure as hell, they were saying it ten years ago. Yeah. I absolutely used that word. I absolutely used that word. Without question. Do I use it now? No. But that's just the way that things evolve over time, you know? And it's one of those things. I remember thinking, like, why, why can't gay people get married? And this is, I'm talking about like a long time ago, probably the 90s. Like, what in the hell is that? Like, how are we even like yeah, it's crazy. trying to reason with that? But okay, I mean, that's the way that it is. I guess somebody knows something more than me. And then sure enough, you know, within 15 years, it's it, the, the game has changed for the most part. Yeah. Um, so, so, but the, the main reason I bring that up is you have these firings and then as opposed to debating what he said and why it was hurtful, what does the debate become? The debate becomes, oh, here's another example of censorship. Here's another example of cancel culture. And so you have people actually standing there now defending saying the word when in reality, I don't think they're necessarily defending saying the word. What they're more afraid of is that they say something that they know they're not a racist or they know they don't hate gay people or they know that they're not anti-Semitic or take your pick of whatever it is, but they're like, shit, I'm worried I'm going to be next. And I know that I don't practice hate, but fuck, I can't keep up with what the rules are. Mm -hmm. And I think that is actually the bigger conversation. And so you have people in that area, in that arena, on that side, if you want to call it that, who aren't for people saying gay slurs, yeah. but they are for understanding what the rules are yeah. because they're thinking to themselves, they motherfuck themselves on the golf course all the time. Oh, that was a bitch putt or whatever the hell it was, or fuck me. Oh, a microphone caught that. Now, you know, whatever it is. And listen, you know, if I miss a putt, I don't drop that on myself. But shit, at the same time, Justin Thomas didn't even remember doing it until he heard it. And then when he heard it, he was like, holy shit, I got to be better. 
Yeah. Justin Thomas, if you want to say to his credit, has said he doesn't want to be mic'd up because he knows he says some dumb shit. But what he's, he didn't think that he said that shit. I just don't believe that Justin, it's just not the people in their 20s. I mean, maybe I'm off the mark on this, Jackson. I'm not there. You are. And you're in your early 20s. So maybe, you know, Justin Thomas is in his later 20s. But it's just not cool. I'm sure it is in some parts of the world in the United States. But if you're playing PGA golf, and I realize golf might be, you know, more antiquated than take your pick of other sports, but it's just not like cool to like shit on gay people. That, that, that's just gone. I mean, it's just gone. Does it still exist? Of course it still exists, but it's just not the way the game is played anymore, man. It's just not what you might have happen is, Oh no, uh, he's gay. And you'd be like, Oh shit. Didn't know that. And then you just move on. You're not like what, what it was. And this is before you were even, you know, aware of this shit. Probably what it was. There used to be a thing like, Oh, he's gay. He's going to try to fuck me or something like that, which, which when you look back on it is, that's not usually the way the game is played. You know, mm-hmm. gay people aren't usually attracted to, you know, take your pick of whatever the guy who is of the mindset that now, now his ass is a target, you know, for the, it's just not the way that it works. But I think with, with, with experience and organic interaction with people of different backgrounds, gay, black, Jewish, whatever we have here, that you go, oh, just a guy, just a lady, whatever. And in the whole scheme of things, who fucking cares? I had no idea you were Jewish and I couldn't care any less. And did you have any idea I was Catholic? I don't know. Maybe from listening to the show, you knew. Yeah. But I don't even know if I'm Catholic. I mean, I went to Catholic school. I'm not even sure. I am. It. it just doesn't, it just doesn't matter. And fuck for all I know, you could be gay. I have no idea. I couldn't care any less. You could be straight. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. So I think what winds up happening is these companies fire people because they're they're dealing with their own shit, and by that I mean they're getting pressure. Yeah, you know that's a key thing here. You know, it's not like Ralph Lauren, and then they do it on Friday night at like seven thirty. That wasn't a coincidence either. Nope. Um, and they're getting pressure, and I'm sure they're not really happy about it, but they're like, "Fuck, we got to do it." And I just would love for a company, and I'm talking about a company that's in a great position, and I think. And I got to tell you also, even though this isn't the reason why I would do it, I think they would have so much of a positive public reaction to it. It would be a brilliant stroke of PR genius to do it that way. Listen, we have talked with Justin privately, and there isn't a doubt in our mind that he is not... He is not anti-gay. He is not anti-lesbian. He is not anti-trans. He is just, he's just a guy who said something that growing up was something that had a, had a connotation that it absolutely does not in 2021. But we also understand that it is not a word that we want to be affiliated with. At the same time, we are tired of seeing what happens when somebody makes an honest mistake. And we want to set a precedent with our company that we are not just going to automatically sever ties. Now, if it were to happen again, then maybe we make we made the mistake. Maybe we made the mistake and we gave him a second chance. If it happens again, we do sever ties. But we believe it was an honest mistake. And so we are going to have Justin come up to our offices, wherever our offices are, my guess is in New York, and we are going to have a conversation and spend a day with a number of our staff members who are from the LGBT community and have a better understanding as to why that word is not a word that you use when you miss a putt. Yeah. And that, to me, 
would have a hell of a lot more positive value. And I bet a lot of people who might use the word still and maybe actually use it in an anti-gay way would go, well, good for them. And then you have a lot of people in the gay community go, well, good for them. And you might have some people on either side go, well, fuck that. And then you have, like, how are you in the gay community going, well, how can you possibly stand up? And But I really believe that that actually would have a bigger positive effect both for the business but also for people. And then this thing where if somebody says something, it becomes a cancel culture thing, um, and that becomes the debate, not the merit of what was said. Exactly. All right. Um, how long have we been going? I, I, I remember last week looking at my clock and seeing it was 11.21, and that's right. why we got to like 2.50. I'm like, holy shit. Where, what time do we start? So We're at an worried. hour and 16 minutes right now. I keep my We've already done an hour and 16 minutes? <laughs> yep. <laughs> holy shit. Are you serious? Yeah, hour 16. We started at like, uh, yeah, like 11.40. Wow, wow, wow. All right. Well, I'll make sure that I, I'm going to come in. I guess I'm going to do 15 more minutes and then we'll wrap it up. I'm telling you, we might, I hope we don't do a second one this week, but if all hell breaks loose on, yeah. on the inauguration day, then we're doing a second one. I might, I'll just do it by myself so I don't put you on the spot with this. No let me, uh, let me make sure that I uh, tell the great people about the specials they have going on at Munganest. Uh, I love this. I love, you know, I mean, listen, here, here, here people go, well, your job, how come you don't go down to the ballpark and get interviews? And how come you don't go to Enterprise Center? Here, here, because I'm telling you, this is my, my job is to mobilize the audience to our advertisers. That's what the job is. That's what the job is. My job is to have an audience and to mobilize the audience to our advertisers. When it's all said and done, that is the real mission statement. Holding up a microphone and asking Paul Goldschmidt what it was like to hit a home run in the fourth inning is not my job. I realize that has been the job for years, but I'm telling you that is not how I actually earn my living. So here is what how you earn your living. You mobilize the audience to the sponsors. And this is a great sponsor because I've already mobilized my ass to Munganast, and I got a car from AltonToyota.com. They have fewer than 25 remaining at St. Louis Acura. Uh, on Manchester in West St. Louis County. And that is the 2020 Acura MDX with zero down. 36 months, 349 a month, 10,000 miles per year. That is zero down. And I believe the number was 18 last week. It's probably less than that. So if you want to get one of these things, get it and get it quickly at stlouisacura.com, at altontoyota.com. They have the Be Like Doug special, 2021 Venza. Uh, zero down, 36 months, 379 a month, 10,000 miles plus tax title license. That's at AltonToyota.com. And then the Iggy special, guaranteed no flat tires, a 2021 Corolla. Uh, as always, over 275 used cars available. That's zero down, by the way, on that 2021 Corolla, 249 a month. Uh, over 275 used cars available. Great selection. All makes, all models. Munganass, StLouisAcura.com, AltonToyota.com. And James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, 314-961-4800 or... Go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. I've been communicating quite a bit with James Carlton here. Uh, and he is just, I'm so happy I made the switch. I mean, I, I know it kind of goes without saying because I say it so often, but I really, truly am. It's not a case of going, oh, man, I got a call and this is going to be a whole thing. They're contacting me, and they're doing it by text and email, and I just love that. I just, I really do, because uh, I think that's how most, I'm not in most people, but most people of a certain age communicate at this point, phone calls. Uh, James Carlton, they cover all the bases for you. They really do. State Farm Insurance Agent in Webster Groves, 314-961-4800. Go online at carltoninsurance.net. And finally, Restoration One, Jim Rogers, Restoration One. They are now, in addition to doing what they've been doing forever, which is water damage, moisture assessment, 
uh, mold remediation, sewer backup, cleanup. And they've been doing that forever at Restoration One of Central St. Louis. Now they're doing COVID disinfecting. COVID disinfecting of businesses, schools, and organizations of all sizes. They've disinfected hundreds of popular businesses, both locally and throughout Missouri and Illinois. 314-888-5266. 314-888-5266. Or go online at Restoration One. That's Restoration. The number one of CentralStLouis.com. That's Jim Rogers. Restoration One of CentralStLouis.com. And also, I got to talk about sound story. Sound story is our thing, and then I never talk about. I'm talking never talk about it, but I uh, double negative. But I I rarely talk about it. Uh, If you're interested in a sound story, Action Jackson and I are doing those. Dan McLaughlin's doing them. Doug Vaughn's doing them. Now that fraud Chris Raby is doing them. Um, Did he contact you? He said he's going to contact you to listen to some. uh, Yeah. Texting over the weekend. Yeah, he texted me last night. We are. uh, Plus, mysoundstory.com is where you can learn more about them, but. Uh, what people are thinking of with them is it's like you're interviewing an older family member, and certainly that's what we do. Uh, that's what Doug and Dan have done. That's what I've done. I've done about 50 of them at this point. But uh, it can be also like you ran a business. You started a business. You want to tell the business's story. You just got married. You just got engaged. You wanted to have your fiancé or your wife come on and tell the story of, of your wedding weekend or whatever the case might be. It's not just interviewing older parent or grandparent. Certainly that's what the, the majority of them have been, but it is greater than that. Uh, and it can involve business. You want to tell your business's story, uh, mysoundstory.com. You want to get a message to the people who work uh, for you, but uh, you know if you record a message, they won't pay attention. But if Dan McLaughlin does the interview, they'll pay attention, mysoundstory.com. Check it out. It's a uh, sound story. All right, I want to make sure I get to more, and I've only asked to done like three, and I feel fucking terrible about it. And we've already somehow gone an hour and 20 minutes. God bless America. Oh, I've got so many more too. Holy shit. Um, let's see. I, I like this one. I remember it. So I'm going to go ahead and ask, uh, not ask it, but read, read the question. Uh, Tim, I know this is long, but I wanted to be thorough. I will start off this question by clarifying that I voted for Trump in 2016 and much less enthusiastically in 2020. I would love to hear your answer to the question of base slash founding political ideology. I will do my best to not make arguments based on false pretenses, but please correct me if I do. Uh, and, and by the way, as I read this, and I remember this one, that's why I went to it, because it might be our last one for this week, or for at least this, this episode, uh, just so I don't keep uh, Jackson for three hours again. But um, as we go on, I believe there is a false pretense. And so everybody uh, who is listening, pay attention, and then I will see if you can catch it, and then I will give my observation, and maybe I'm wrong on it. So uh, people uh, want to see if uh, you can spot the false pretense. Uh, the, the gentleman asks for me to correct. Now you can play along at home. Uh, I continue to read. While listening to QFTA from two weeks ago, someone asked about your crystal ball-like read on John Hawley. I'm sure you meant Josh Hawley and Eric Greitens. The answer led, once again, into your own voting philosophy. As you have before, you stated that the person you vote for has nothing to do with the political party. Instead, you look for the person who will act in the best interest of the greater good. My question is about this concept of voting for the greater good. I fully acknowledge that both Hawley and Greitens have shown that they are not interested in acting in the best interest of the population. I'm hoping to get an answer on a broader scale. I have always looked at voting as an individual endeavor, and in my opinion, that is the way the founders intended for the voting process to be approached. In my opinion, each voter is supposed to pick the candidate who benefits them the most 
and those votes are tallied to determine the winner. It is this ideology that I cite when explaining why I voted for Trump. His policies were the best for me. Please believe me when I say I'm not looking to attack or change you your political beliefs, but I have to express my confusion regarding your recent voting history. As a member of the upper middle class and an owner of multiple small businesses, I have hard time seeing how the policies of Obama, Clinton, or Biden would be more beneficial, especially to your bottom line, than their respective opponents. So here are my two questions. What is your view of the founders' intended voting philosophy, and has this philosophy changed over time? When you think back to your recent and past voting philosophy, does the weight of personal versus greater good differ based on race in question? I would love to hear what Pete and Jackson have to say as well. Again, sorry for the length. Fire up Big D. Uh, that is from Jay. Use my first name. So that's what I'm saying. People sometimes say to use their name around. All right. Uh, first off, Action Jackson. I don't know what the hell he meant by fire up Big D. I think that might be a Dismet reference. I could be wrong. Um, we don't have Gangster Pete with us because he would have been able to tell us. Um, all right. I said you can play at home on the find the false pretense. Of course, that is subjective. What, if you were paying attention on that, where do you think we had what I think was the false pretense? Fuck. Uh, <laughs> okay, so you don't have it. No, I, I'm bad at spotting things, man. Okay, I, I, uh, here, is, here is where I think it was. Uh, he said, my question is about the concept of voting for the greater good. And I love that. I love that. That, 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 that's a, that's a great question. Um, and then he goes on to say, I fully acknowledge that both Holly and Greitens have shown that they are not interested in acting in the best interest of the population. And by the way, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I don't think that they are. Um, I think they're just interested in being president. That's what I think. And they'll fuck anybody over in order to get there. That's what I think. And I think at this point, it's past tense for both of them. Although I think Greitens is not done. And I'm sure Holly thinks he might not be done. Uh, I'm hoping to get an answer on a broader scale. I have always looked at voting as an individual endeavor. And in my opinion, that is the way the founders intended for the voting process to be approached. In my opinion, each voter is supposed to pick the candidate who benefits them the most, and those votes are tally determine the winner. Um, so then he asked the questions, what is your view of the founders' intended voting philosophy, and has this philosophy changed over time? When you think back to your recent – oh, I'm sorry. He's confused by my voting as a member of the upper middle class that uh, it doesn't benefit me to vote for Obama, Clinton, or Biden. Well, let me say one thing, and then I'll get to the, the false pretense. I was not excitedly voting for Hillary Clinton. I was more excitedly voting for Joe Biden, but I still wouldn't call myself an enthusiastic Biden voter. But I was an enthusiastic in 16 and an even more enthusiastic in 20 uh, anti-Trump voter. So there is a difference. Yeah. I would have happily voted perhaps even with Palin on the ticket, but assuming he would have taken almost anybody other than Sarah Palin as his running mate, I would have happily voted for John McCain, happily voted for John McCain. I just thought an incredibly high amount of Barack Obama, uh, and still do 13 years later, perhaps even more so, actually, 13 years later. Um, so with that said, what I think what the false pretense was is – uh, and he did say in his opinion, so let me make that clear. Mm -hmm. Each voter is supposed to pick the candidate who benefits them the most. I just absolutely disagree with that. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I just, I mean, I absolutely 100% disagree with it. Now, I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that if you vote in your own self-interest that I think you are wrong or doing something wrong at all. I'm just saying 
that the founders did not intend for uh, people to vote in their own self-interest. I don't believe that. I also don't know. And if they did, it doesn't matter. The founders also owned slaves yeah. and some things have changed over the years. So things evolve. So this whole thing, well, the founders intended, well, first off, none of us really, really know, number one, but it's a cute thing to use. It's like when people analyze scripture to justify hating people, yeah. but I'm not, not down with that shit either. Nope. So with this, we're not going to use the founders as the end all be all, but I don't think the that's where the founders were. This is what I think is the most important thing. And this is what I look at for in a leader. I can tell you this, and I think I've said this on this show and I've done it. Because I think leading a business can be the same thing as leading a country, although when you're leading a country, you're not monitoring the, the profit margin. Um, this is the key. You are leading people and acting what you think is going to help the greater good. That's what I mean by the greater good. When I say the greater good. So, for example, the vote, when I think the gentleman asked, Jay asked the question, if my voting patterns have changed, I am so... I don't know if embarrassed is the right, embarrassed isn't the right word. Um, I guess disappointed in myself because I voted for George W. Bush, who, by the way, I think is a good man. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I voted for him in 2000, and it's, I mean, it's from my standpoint, it's airtight. Uh, if I voted for Al Gore, the United States doesn't invade Iraq. Like there's not, there's not a doubt in my mind. Now I might be wrong and there's no way none of us, none of us can ever prove no. that, but that, that there's just not a doubt in my mind. Part of it also has to do with some firsthand sourcing on what was going on leading into that, that I'm aware of. Um, that that was, that was a big Cheney thing that was going on for a while. And I, that's kind of why, I mean, listen, when it's all said and done, the buck stops here is the great Harry S. Truman said, but, um, I kind of feel like, um, George W. Bush, more so than any president in my lifetime, was not necessarily calling all the shots. Yep. I certainly think Trump was. I certainly think Obama was. I certainly think Clinton was. I certainly think George H.W. Bush was and Reagan was. But I do not think uh, George W. Bush was. I could be wrong on that. Uh, and I think he had advisors with their self-interest involved. And I think that's how that happened. And I consider as far as foreign policy goes, and I don't even know what second place would be, um, the United States in Iraq in 2003 to be without question is bad as bad as a policy decision. That, you know, I'm very proud of that. I was against that. I've said that multiple times on the podcast and I hold people who not only had the judgment to know that that was wrong in the moment, not just in the moment, but then how it would play out. That's also part of it. But the courage to vote against it, the courage to vote against it in the moment, the courage to be against it in the moment, the courage to speak out against it in the moment if they weren't in a position to vote because it was a serious, serious thing that cost lives, cost dollars, and still is playing out uh, nearly 18 years later. Um, and, and it takes a great deal of courage to swim upstream when you're talking about saying this is not right for American policy because you can be pa painted as anti-patriotic, which some people were in 2003. Was or Colin Powell against that? Did he speak? I that? Well, I think I think maybe deep down he might have been, but he made the presentation to the UN that really was uh, part of uh, building a coalition, okay. which I'm sure is one of the greatest uh, regrets of his career. I would yeah. imagine uh, it is. Um, so with, with all of that, with all of that 
said. Um, that is the reason why I look at my vote in 2000 where I was kind of like, ah, six in one hand, half dozen in the other. But at the same time, when I voted, I was 20, I just turned 24. Now, that's not to say that when you're 24 or 22, in your case, Jackson, that you can't be engaged and have a grieving. Fuck, there's plenty of 22-year-olds right now who have a hell of a lot better idea of what's going on than I do at 44. It's not about the age. It's about where I was at that moment in my life, and I just wasn't engaged. Mm-hmm. Um. But I, but I also don't think, I don't think it was so obvious, uh, as it, you know, from my standpoint was, um, you know, with some of these recent elections, uh, and I'm not even just talking about presidential elections, um, you know, Greitens would be one that Greitens and Hawley would be two obvious ones from my standpoint. Uh, Todd Aiken, I suppose, would be another one. Um, you know, so it's, it's not just, it's not just, it's not just, it's not just presidential elections. So that's why that bothers me. It has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. And I think there is like, um, a, a, like I said at the outset, a misperception there. But if somebody is only acting in their own self-interests, then we really wouldn't have made much progress as a country since, uh, its inception, uh, you know, what, close to 250 years ago. Um, If Abraham Lincoln, for example, were only acting in his best interests, I would imagine it probably would have been a lot easier to go about living with slaves. You know, not necessarily, of course, what he thought was morally right or ethically right. Yeah. But as far as what was in his self-interest, I would imagine that would be, that would be, that would be, that would be in his self-interest. But, Sometimes you have to, like, for example, I mean, again, I wish I could, but just, but I mean, this is, these are firsthand anecdotes just because it's, it's, it's right. At least I think it's right. When I was operating a radio station, uh, 920, uh, and I guess for the handful of months I was, uh, the president of KFNS, um, it went without saying that we were going to get people not only health care, but 401k. Mm-hmm. Now, did that cut into our bottom line? It absolutely did. It absolutely did. But listen, it was my business, my call, but the greater good was served by at least allowing our employees to have the option to buy into the health care plan that was inside STLs and to set aside money and the company would match it up until a certain point with a 401k. Furthermore, not only is that the greater good, because I believed ethically it was the right thing to do, um, but it certainly cut into profits. If there were profits, it cut into profits. Uh, it also, bigger picture, allows us to fish from a deeper pond mm-hmm. when it comes to a caliber of candidates wanting to come and work with us. Yep, It's awfully difficult to hire somebody in their usually 30s or 40s with a family uh, if you don't have a health insurance plan. Yep. But that wasn't the reason why I did it. I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Now, did it cost me money? And, and it might, whatever percentage of the time I owned of the business. Yes, it did. But it was the right thing to do. I believed it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't vote, obviously, I guess. Uh, I don't vote based on what's best for me and my money. I don't. And I've, I just, I just don't, I don't even think twice about it. I just don't. 
I know plenty of people do, though. And by the way, God bless. Have at it. That's totally cool. Uh, if we only had people voting in their economic interests, I think a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump might not necessarily be voting Republican, but I don't think that's necessarily the way that it's spun. Yeah. Uh, that's a separate <laughs> podcast. Uh, I, I think, I think that's an important element of the, of the discussion. I don't care. So I, so I may wind up paying more in taxes with Joe Biden in office. Okay. I, I don't know what to say. Yeah. But I'll tell you this. If there is a pandemic, I feel a hell of a lot better about Joe Biden being in office than Donald Trump. Yep. And that was why I voted for Hillary Clinton. That was why I voted for Not because I'm like, oh, there's going to be a pandemic in March of 2020. No, because my belief would be, and again, that's a bad example because that was the only time in my life I felt like we had two bad choices, bad choices. Uh, and I know a lot of people don't necessarily share that opinion. They either are Trump fans or they either are Hillary Clinton fans. And I realize some of the Hillary Clinton fans are retroactive Hillary Clinton fans. But my belief would be if you are by yourself and you are making a decision on policy, you are going to act on what is in the best interests of your population, your constituents, and not on your own interests. And I believe, and I will tell you this, and maybe I'm wrong, and it's one of those things that you cannot prove. I, I, I was in awe. I remember doing it on the fan page, asking the question, um, you know, who would you like to have in office during a pandemic? And I used presidential examples, I think, going from either Reagan or the first Bush all the way through present day. And Trump finished it last <laughs> comfortably. But still, there was some, you know, saying that he was the best person for him. It's like, wow. But, I mean, hey, that's fine. Maybe, and you know what? Maybe he was. Maybe. But the, the, the perception that had Barack Obama been in office – or George W. Bush been in office, or Bill Clinton been in office, or George H. W. Bush been in office, and we would have had the same response to the pandemic as we had, is asinine to me. Yeah. Is asinine to me. Is asinine to me. And I would imagine for a lot of you, even if you voted for Trump, you know too. And you knew it back in March. You knew it back in March. You didn't know it now. You knew it then that it was bullshit. You knew it then that it was bullshit. I really believe that. Now, I might be wrong on it, but I really do, I really do believe that. Why do I believe that? Because it was an election year and he was fresh off an impeachment and the last thing he needed was to freak people out. And so the reason he downplayed it was for his own self-interest with the election. And that is how it became political. That here is how nearly 10 months later, we have people still debating, take your pick of whatever it is, the hoax, the masks, whatever, that, that is, you know, mind-blowing. But that, you know, Truth. <laughs> as we approach 400,000 people dead, we actually are still having the conversation. Not, not, as, not as much as we were in March, no. but still to an extent. Crazy. Um, and then, you know, I imagine here's a prediction, not really a bold one, although maybe I guess I can – uh, chalk it up as another prediction I hit on just because it's so fucking obvious to me that when this shit is still going on in February and March, uh, one of the talking points from take your pick of whatever, you know, hand job will use it. Wow. I thought when Biden and Harris were getting in, I thought the pandemic would go away. That, well, it was, it was never, it was never going to go away on election day or the day after election day, which was a hand job talking point. And it wasn't going to go on away the day after the inauguration because it's real. And that's the thing. If we're only an American thing, well, then you might like, oh, this is kind of suspect. But how do you explain the deaths in India or Brazil or way back when in Italy 
um, or uh, where was it spreading all over the place at the outset uh, outside France. of China? Uh, what's that? France. France. Yeah. So it's just it's 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 in, it's a combination of infuriating and exhausting, and that is why I didn't vote for him. Mm-hmm. That is why. Again, not because I thought there would be a pandemic and he would handle it poorly, but because I thought if he got in a spot where he had to choose his own interests or choose the interests of the party or, the, excuse me, the people, uh, he would choose his own interests. Yeah. That's it. Josh Hawley would choose his own interests. Eric Greitens would choose his own interests. Harry Clinton, Hillary Clinton would choose her own interests. That's what my reasoning was. Now, I might be wrong on this. And other people may have done it, who I think are great politicians. I'm sure plenty of you listening to this will, are saying that right now. But that's how I that's how I go about it. Because if you have people who at their core are quality human beings, whether we disagree or agree philosophically, when something as significant as a pandemic or a war is on the Oval Office desk, the Resolute desk, and a decision has to be made, that person, I believe, is going to ask, act in the greater good's interest. And that's what I mean by the greater good. I don't, for me personally, and listen, I know this might make me in the minority, um, but from my standpoint, that's how I vote. That's how I vote. And it's, and it's very easy, except it's not scientific. And from my standpoint, I have every, if someone would like to criticize it, they have every right to do so because every other thing that I do in my life is data driven and something as important as voting is, in, is intuitive. Yeah. It's based on a read as to who I think will act in the greater good. And sometimes the greater good might be, for me individually, bad. Mm-hmm. If you call it bad, yeah. you know, like, oh, I have to pay more taxes. But for my, I just, that, that doesn't like, you know, that isn't, that's not what I determine as being the decision. Yeah. <laughs> the decision is people living. The decision is our economy functioning. Yeah. The, the the decision is based on having competence. I mean, the, the, I wasn't even thinking about competence, but shit, I guess we have to get to the point of competence uh, in, in there. Uh, you know, God. So it's, it's a no-brainer. And I don't know if, I don't know if, you know, in 40 years, we're going to have like what apparently happened at Woodstock. I have no idea, but people like the joke became, you know, however many people were at Woodstock and then a million times more said they were there. I wonder what it's going to be like in 40 years, Jackson, where you'll, you'll like, won't be able to find a person who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 or 2020. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, some people are still kind of doing it. Uh, but I, like I just, you know. And, and, and by the way, I'm not saying that to mock. I'm no. just saying I think with with the with the with the benefit of history, there is going to be a greater understanding of how much of a clusterfuck this was. Yeah. And that is um, that is my reasoning for it. And, and by the way, it's not to say if you voted for him, you're dumb. If you voted for him, you're a racist. Because again, I have people in my family who I am certain voted for him without question voted for him. I love them and I don't think they're dumb and I know that they're not racist. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's not it. It's, it, it goes back to really what we were saying at the very beginning of the conversation here today. The media's manipulation of it. As time goes on, you know, Sean Hannity isn't going to be doing a show. Tucker Carlson isn't going to be doing a show. Um, 
And so things that are, and, and take your pick of whatever the other things are that aren't as well known that are, you know, that are out, outlets. Rob, whoever the fuck he is. Rob Joe. <laughs> I didn't even know he was doing one until three weeks ago. But the point is, is this is good. You're going to, you're going you're to read books about this. And what winds up happening, cause I'm, I, you know, two nights ago, three nights ago, you know, we're all living in a house down here together. My in-laws and my wife and my son. And my mother-in-law comes uh, down, and I'm watching um, the Civil War documentary I've been talking about. And uh, in, in the documentary, um, whoever was doing the voiceover – does Ken Burns do all the voiceovers? I know you're probably not the person to ask. but I think he – didn't he do it for the baseball when he did the voiceover? Did he? I'm not I sure. I don't know. But whoever was doing the voiceover brought up Winchester, Virginia, and my wife's uh, mom's sister uh, lives in Winchester, Virginia. And when her daughter got married, we went to a wedding in Winchester, Virginia. And it turns out Winchester, Virginia changed hands between the Union and the Confederacy 72 times in the Civil War. Holy shit. So I'm watching this documentary uh, on uh, the Civil War, and and my mother-in-law asks what I'm watching. I tell her what we're watching, and she asks the question. She goes, you know, it's interesting. What? I wonder how they get all of that history, and then how will they record the history of what's going on right now. And I said to her, I said, well, I've already read books about what has transpired here within the last few years where you have firsthand sources from inside the administration talking about the chaos. Uh, But I, I guess because of the divide in coverage they are dismissed as malcontents. I mean, these are firsthand sources. If, if, if me, if I, as somebody who was a fan of President Obama, if he had turnover in his administration left and right, and then people were on the record talking about it was absolute chaos in there, mm-hmm. I'd be like, shit, the hell, what the hell was I thinking? You know, yeah. similarly to how I, I view the, the George W. Bush vote. Yeah. Um, but not because that administration was chaotic per se, but just because something transpired as far as the, the Iraqi war that I just absolutely thought was a mistake. Uh, mistake is really downplaying it by using the word mistake. You know, mistake is, you know, you know, taking the wrong, uh, you know, club out of your bag. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in, invading a sovereign nation is not a mistake. Nope. Um, so what, what the overall reason for bringing that little anecdote up is this, is as people pass away and as time goes on, people are more comfortable talking honestly about what they saw and what they heard and telling the truth to paint a picture of what was really going on. Mm-hmm. And so in that documentary, you have, for those of you who've watched it, Shelby Foote is the name, uh, but there are a number of other people. He just stands out because he has this distinct Southern voice and he's used so often in the in the documentary. Um and, uh, and of course, Ken Burns. And they studied all of these firsthand primary sources to come away with, you know, knowledge of what took place 150 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think you're going to have something similar to what took place, you know, in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it'll happen even sooner than, than that. I, you'll have plenty of it where people no longer fear ramifications for speaking honestly. Yeah. And we're going to find things out 
that I think, well, first of all, certain, a portion of the population still won't believe, but that we'll be going, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. Gotta be kidding me. Um, that's just the way that it, I mean, I feel like that happened here with something and it might have had nothing to do with politics. God, I hate that I can't think of it. This is such horrible hosting. It was just within the last 24 hours, something that happened. Um, that people were in in awe that it it even happened, and it might have had something to do with a football team, and it might have had something to do with the government, um, but it kind of provided some perspective. This is one of those things that I will remember in ten minutes, and we'll be done. But um, and you're like, holy, she had no idea. You just don't know. Yeah. And and that is that's 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 such an important part of the story. Uh, is is the competence and is the ability to think bigger than one's own interests as a leader. Uh, that's that's to my standpoint leadership. Mm-hmm. So, sometimes you might have the best player on a hockey team, for example, but he doesn't get the C. Now, he might be the best player, mm-hmm. but when it comes to leading the group, he isn't the one that they necessarily think should have the C on a sweater. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that can be the case. Take your pick of whomever might be labeled selfish in, uh, you know, the NBA or, you know, the NHL or the NFL and they're or versus like Mike Matheny, for example. And I realize his name now is, you know, the negative connotation it might have amongst Cardinal fans for his managerial stint. But he was, I don't even know if he was the 15th best player on the 2004 Cardinals, but I know he was considered the leader of the team. And mm-hmm. I know Woody Williams was considered the leader of the team. That's what I'm talking about. And I realize, and, and listen, I want to reemphasize something I've already said, and that is just because if you do vote for your own economic interests, in other words, I make this much. And first off, I think one of these things that, you know, I'm going to get taxed more. Well, hey, man, if you're making more than $400,000 a year, then God bless America. But here's the thing. Making $400,000 a year in St. Louis is a hell of a lot different than making $400,000 in New York yep. and that, and, or California. Mm-hmm. That's a big, big, big difference because I'm telling you, Making $400,000 a year in one of those places is not rich. Nope. And I know it might – listen, because I was making – when I was your age, Jackson, and uh, I hate even saying that phrase when I was your age, but when I was your age, I was making barely uh, something with a two in front of it, and it didn't have five zeros after it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's not like I've always had – it's not like I'm fucking super rich. I just know some people think that I am. I do well for myself, but it's in St. Louis dollars. Yeah. Uh, you can't, uh, you can't, you know, you live in, you know, living in California, living in LA and making 400 K is not rich. So nope. I get it. I get it. Or living in Manhattan, making 400 K. It is not rich. Uh, making 4 million. Yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the, you know, another thing that you come to understand <clears throat> as I have, uh, is that the game isn't really about what your salary is. Um, and, you know, it's about what your, you know, overall income is from a variety of different <clears throat> sources, excuse me. Um, so that's another thing that, that comes with it. But you're taxed based on, you know, specifically when people think about, well, I make this, that's my salary. I understand that. But I think a lot of people just are under the impression that because they make like six figures, that therefore their taxes are going to go up. And that's just not, that's, it's just not accurate, but that's, no. that's the thing. Yeah. I still think of the majority of like those who are just kind of committed to voting, um, Republican, um, 
so much of it has to do with either they inherited it from their parents or it, it, it comes from their religion. I really mm-hmm. do. And the abortion thing, I really do. Now, maybe that's my own personal bubble experience yeah. in St. Louis, which is a heavily Catholic. Um, my experience, certainly uh, my neighborhood, heavily white, mm-hmm. uh, conservative area. But um, that's, you know, that's where I think a lot of it comes from, that it's handed down or that it's, you know, hold on yeah. a second, you, you don't. And my God, I would vote for a Republican in a heartbeat. I did it. I did it four years ago, you yeah. know, and I'm not doing that for street cred. I'm doing it to tell you where I am. This is where I am, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, for me, it's not policy because of the policy, how my life is going to go the government isn't going to dictate it. Yeah. That's my belief, which I guess is a Republican principle. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. It sucks. God, I was, I was with somebody this weekend. Oh my God. Uh, cause Sheldon Adelson just passed away and mm-hmm. we were talking about online poker. That affected me. That was a government thing. I made money doing that shit, like a nice amount of money, more money than I was making in my job easily. When I first came out of school easily, yeah. like two or three times as much. Um, that affected me. But yeah, I mean, okay, so I'm paying more in taxes. I'm paying more in taxes, but I'm very comfortable that if all hell breaks loose, we've got somebody in there, people in there who are going to act in the greater good. That's, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Um, and I realize it simplifies it. It's not that simple, but that's where I am. But on a policy thing, that's, that's just, I, the truth is probably much like many of you. I don't understand the nuances of it. I just don't. I don't. And I don't want to act like I do either. I don't. I don't. Um, so it's it's about voting for a person. And sometimes both people, from my standpoint, can be great options. And in some cases, as it was, I think, four years ago, both cases aren't great options. So that's where I'm coming from when it comes to – but I love the question. Yeah. Um, I truly love the question. I think it's a great question, and I, I hope I'm not hammering too much on the pretense, and I don't think I did, no. of um, – but you asked me to, uh, this gentleman who wrote it in, on what the founders intended. I, I don't know what the hell the founders intended for. Um but, but that's not how I vote. And even if that's how the founders intended, then great. And if it's not how the, if the founders intended for people to do what I'm doing, great. Doesn't matter. People are going to vote what, what they think is the right thing to do. Yeah. So, you know, and if that's what they think, if they're like, well, my 401k went up more during this. Uh, I remember having a conversation with a guy who owns a business. Um, and he said, I don't know what everybody's talking about. And this was like toward the end of the Obama administration. He goes, my business has done incredibly well while Obama's been in office, but like all my friends are saying he's terrible for business and I don't want to say anything. He goes, but how have you done? I go, I had, I had a nice, nice eight years. And he goes, where does that come from? And I go, it comes from the media. That's, that's the gig, you know, that that he's anti-business. He's he's a socialist or whatever. Just dumb shit. And he's tied in with wall street, just like a lot of politicians. It's just, it's just, it's just nuts. It's just nuts. But that's the game. The game is the game is giving misinformation and manipulate to put the people in power who give out the information. And it's coming from all over the place. It's not limited to Republicans at all. All right, Action Jackson. I've gone on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Um, I appreciate uh, you uh, rolling with me once again. I appreciate the audience sending in questions. I might do another one and not uh, subject you to it this week just because I didn't get to too many questions. But you're welcome to send in your questions, your comments, your opinions. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL.com. Questions from the audience. 
on the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you. The Wendy's $3 breakfast deal is here. Get a bacon or sausage egg and Swiss croissant plus a small seasoned potatoes. That's a better breakfast for just three bucks in three easy steps. One, wake up. Two, get out of bed. And three, head to Wendy's for your $3 breakfast deal. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's $3 breakfast deal. Limited time only. Participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Select a request $3 breakfast deal in order to obtain discount. Not valid for all the card or combos orders. Price and participation may vary in Alaska and Hawaii.